Welcome to the Sages Among Us. What makes a community great? Most importantly, it's the people who live and work there and are engaged in community life. The Sages Among Us focuses on those people, what they do and why they do it, and celebrates the leadership, time, and energy they bring to making a positive difference for all of us. And indeed, welcome to the Sages Among Us. I'm Keith Porter, and my guest tonight is one of those people who does help make a positive difference for all of us. He is Michael Selby. Michael's a former probation and parole officer. He's a corporate trainer and executive, accomplished pianist. He's a board member for In Concert Sierra, and he's a helpful neighborly handyman for lots of folks in Lake Wildwood. My goodness, a man for all seasons, for sure. Hey, Michael, welcome to the hot seat on the Sages Among Us. Uh, let me share a little bit more of your background with our audience, and then we'll talk about you and your role in the community for 30 minutes here. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing great, and thanks for uh, inviting me to be on the program. You bet. Well, you grew up in Fulton, Missouri, a uh, little town about the size of uh, Grass Valley, you said, in the heart of uh, America. Uh, you were the middle child of five. Uh, you went into the uh, seminary for the Catholic priesthood from age 16 to 22, I think, thereabouts. And then you came out and you were a probation officer. You were a organization development and a management consultant for a number of years. Retired pretty recently to the Lake Wildwood uh, area where you uh, have gotten involved in the community. So is that a thumbnail sketch or what? That's pretty good. <laughs> okay. Um, so, you were the middle child of five, uh, you had two brothers, two sisters. Um, some say that the uh, middle child uh, can get lost in the family shuffle. What was your experience about that? Um, I'd say it's partly true and partly uh, not true, whatever. Um, the true part is um, my older brother, uh, I think, was kind of the, the pride of my parents, you know, the firstborn son, and then, then my older sister was kind of mom's helper and my, uh, there was a special bond between my mom and my sister and I think both me and my younger brother kind of got lost uh, in the process. Uh, we were, um, uh, I think by the time that, that I came along, my mom was pretty overwhelmed with three kids under the age of two and, uh, you know, it's just kind of overwhelming and so I do feel like there was some um, uh, lostness that happened there for me, but or lack of attention or lack of uh, parental connection, if you will. Uh, but on the other hand, uh, I really got involved in piano as a you know from age five uh, onwards. Uh, piano and music was a really important part of my life, and um, I think uh, sometimes when I didn't get the emotional nurturing that I might have needed from my parents, uh, I just hold up with the piano and played my heart out, and uh, that was a pretty nurturing experience for me as well. Like uh, Linus in the uh, in the Peanuts cartoons, huh? <laughs> you and your piano. Yeah, Schrader. Uh, oh, that's right, yeah, not Linus, Schrader, yeah, right. So d yeah. D did, did that make you kind of become the mischief maker, mischief maker of the family, or were you one of the kids that kind of towed the line and kept out of trouble? I'm afraid to say that I was kind of a boring, good little boy. Uh, yeah. I don't really have a lot of stories to tell about uh, mischief that I caused, other than maybe picking on my younger brother more than I should have. <laughs> but uh, yeah. other than that, I was, I was, I think I always tried to be the uh, devout Catholic little boy. Well, you mentioned that your par parents. Yeah, excuse me. You, you mentioned your parents were very involved Catholics, and I was going to ask, how, how did that influence your life's direction? Well, I think 
it influenced it a lot, to be honest with you. Um, my dad was uh, uh, president of the Knights of Columbus. My mom was president of the Ladies' Altar Society. Um, whenever there was a church event that went on, both my parents were uh, quick to volunteer and take leadership roles in that. Um, so I, I pretty much had it role modeled to me pretty strongly by my parents that um, community involvement was important, uh, that it was important to give back and not just be on the receiving end, you know, that it was important to, when somebody asked for volunteers to raise your hand and say, yes, I'll volunteer for that. Okay. And I think I got a lot of that from my parents. Well, you said that your dad died when you were 13, which left your mom with you five kids, and um, and you said that she had a life of service. But that must have been an incredibly um, traumatic, life-changing time for you. Uh, what, what was her life like and your life during your teenage years after your dad's death? Um, it was a very difficult time, to be honest. Um, I think my, my dad's death came as a total surprise. It was like one day he was with us and the next day he was gone uh, he had a heart attack and um so my mom was left with five children uh, to uh, take care of and um i think in in some ways it brought the family together more like we really knew that we had to support each other and my mom made it clear to us that we needed not only to support each other but also to find jobs and help support the family uh, so that was, um, uh, it was kind of a unifying thing for the family at the same time as a, uh, a real loss, uh, you know, obviously as a 13-year-old boy and to lose your dad uh, at age 13 is a big deal. Well, and, and I think you told me at one point you thought that might have had some bearing on your decision at age 16 to enter uh, the seminary to become a priest. Um, I, go ahead. You no, know, you, you, is that accurate? Yeah, I think that's true. Um, you know, partly um, uh, at the time, anyway, um, young Catholic boys were kind of groomed by the nuns in the Catholic grade school that kind of the very best thing that you could do with your life is be, is be a priest. And, you know, I was certainly influenced by the nuns and the priests in that regard. Uh, but there was also a thing where, um, you know, I, I went to some of these, what they call them, uh, seminary weeks, where you went out to a seminary for a week and kind of got a taste of what seminary life was like. And I really liked it, and I think one of the things that I liked was that there were a lot of uh, male priests around who were very uh, leaderful and kind and intelligent men. And I also just liked uh, all the all my peers, the guys that were in the seminary with me, uh, I, I found it a real um, alternate family for the family that had been kind of wounded by my father's death. Yeah. Well, I know you stayed there for six years, but let, let me jump back for a second, because you also told me that uh, before you went to seminary at age 14, uh, you'd studied piano so thoroughly that you had a chance to actually uh, work with a professor uh, at a women's college, women's art college, and accompany some of the, uh, you said, the pretty female voice students uh, as an accompanist. <laughs> so uh, music obviously was very important to your life, as you, as you said earlier, and still is, right? Yeah, it certainly is. I, you know, I look um, I, I look back on those days for myself, and I was playing piano like four hours a day. You know, I'd get up at 5.30 in the morning, 
played the piano for two hours before I went off to high school, and I'd come home in the evening and play for another couple hours. And I did it because I loved it. Uh, I did it because uh, I was good at it. Uh, and I did it because I had a great teacher, uh, this professor at the uh, girls' college, uh, who kind of introduced me to classical music. And um, uh, he would do things like take me into the St. Louis Symphony Orchestra. And I'd never heard a symphony orchestra before in my life. And I think that um, laid the pattern and the groundwork for the love of classical music that led me to volunteer to be on the board at In Concert Sierra right now. It goes all the way back to that. All right. Yeah, well, and we'll come to that, come back to that for sure. Uh, Were you able to continue playing the piano during your seminary years? Was that something that fit in? Um, I I did some. It's kind of a long story, probably not worth going into a lot, but there was this view in the monastery at the time that uh, you were supposed to really focus on theology and philosophy and not so much on music. Uh, but I did kind of, um, in a way, carve a, carve a place for myself. They knew that I was pretty good, and I was able to find a, uh, uh, when I was in college, I was able to find a, a very good piano teacher. And so I kept on pl- practicing and kept on giving recitals, you know, just as student recitals. And things yeah, like good. Maybe, maybe a little element of rebellion in there for the good yeah, kid. Yeah, huh? there was. <laughs> So um, one, one, one last thing that, that we missed, and I just want to mention it because I think it's been really important in terms of um, my adult life of being of service uh, for other people. Um, my dad and my mom were both pretty, um, like their, their philosophy was you should always stand up and say what you think. Uh, you shouldn't um, just kind of sit back and hold things to yourself, but if you have a thought, you should express it. And uh, in Missouri in the 1950s, there was a lot of racism. A lot of, um, you know, uh, black people were not invited into restaurants or were not allowed to come into restaurants. They always had to go around to the back door to get food. That was pretty common in in where I grew up as as a kid. And my dad and my mom got the idea that they were going to integrate the, the uh, fanciest restaurant in Fulton. So they um, kind of asked the Catholic priest, and they also asked this elderly black man that was a good friend of my dad's. Uh, and the four of them went into this restaurant on a Sunday afternoon and sat down, and they were the very first interracial couple and the very first black person to ever eat in that restaurant. And I think about that, and I think someday, sometimes these days, like um, when I'm in a situation, a lot of times where, um, you know, I have an opinion maybe that's different than other people in a group, like on the In Concert Sierra board, uh, I'll speak up about it. And sometimes people are kind of like, wow, you had the courage to speak up. And I think that I have that courage a lot from my mom and my dad because they, they, uh, they had the courage to speak up too. Well, it sounds like a, a, a very, very positive inheritance that you got from your family. I hope so. <laughs> you bet. Uh, you're listening to The Sages Among Us on KVMR. I'm Keith Porter. My guest is Michael Selby, uh, former probation and parole officer, corporate trainer executive, 
uh, accomplished pianist. He's now a member of the Board of Inconsistera. We'll get to that. And uh, we're talking about his life, uh, early life, when he was leaving the seminary. Uh, and you did leave seminary after six years, and uh, you remained with the church. You, you said you were teaching history, black history classes, running a summer camp for an all-black Catholic church, and that must have had some uh, relationship to your parents' stand as well. But, but, but why did you choose to leave the seminary? Uh, probably in one word, it was girls. Uh, I, I did not imagine or couldn't imagine being celibate for the rest of my life. Uh, I wanted to uh, be out in the world, and I think the truth was I just wanted to um, not be a priest. I wanted to you know, go out and get a job and be an adult and raise a family, and uh, I was more drawn to that at that point. Yeah. Oh, those girls, they'll do it every time, won't they? Yeah, they will. <laughs> So you, you went on to Louis, Louisville, uh, where you were working as a probation and patrol officer. You uh, took a job uh, at, uh, running a clearinghouse for ex-offenders, and then you were director of a training academy for probation and parole correction, uh, and corrections officers and prison caseworkers. Why the change in focus to working with incarcerated and ex-offenders? What, what brought that about? The, your, your focus on service again, same thing? Uh, it, it's a... Uh, the answer to that is yes, and I'll tell you how it happened. Uh, partly it was just that it was a job, you know, like I got out of college with a degree in philosophy and theology, which doesn't leave you particularly employable. <laughs> exactly. Um, and so, I, you know, I got a job with the state as a probation and parole officer. But within about three or four months on that job, the head of the parole office, uh, he came, there were about six of us new guys, and he ask us or new people men and women and he asked uh we want somebody to start a job a job here a job clearinghouse for these guys getting out of prison are any of you willing to do it and i was the only one that raised my hand and this again is kind of like back to the parent thing of being willing to volunteer but i raised my hand and i said i'd do it and i looked actually it was a good a good uh, thing to do I, I started one job clearinghouse in Louisville, and then I wrote a grant and started a second one in Lexington. And about the same time, I was going to graduate school and, and majoring in adult education, and I, then I got a job uh, as the head of this training training academy for the Kentucky prison system. Um, that all happened pretty quickly, and it happened, you know, basically because I was willing to raise my hand and say, "Yeah, I'll do it." One more, one more time that uh, that service and that volunteering uh, ethic, right? Yep, yep. So um, that led you, in some way, after your master's in adult education, you, be, you went into the corporate sector. So you had a phase of, uh, I don't know, t 10 years or more, I guess, in that realm. You, uh, in part of that time, you were managing manager of organization development for Hewlett-Packard. Um, yes. What, what was particularly memorable for you about that time, your corporate time? Well, I loved my days at Hewlett-Packard. Uh, I, I loved working with, uh, there were an awful lot of very bright men and women who worked in that corporation. And I just found it um, incredibly energizing to be able to rub elbows with those people. I remember one time I was teaching a class and a guy came up to me on the break in the class and he said, do you realize that there are three Nobel Prize winners in your class today. Uh -huh. <laughs> I said, oh my goodness, you know, what do I have to teach them? Um, uh, but but yeah, they're really bright people, and I loved working there. And on the other hand, corporate life, and I, um, I think I'm more independent than that. And so when I was 40 years old, I 
left HP and started my uh, independent consulting career, which was a lot better fit. Okay. Well, I, you I know, my days at HP. One of my next questions was going to be, what parts of your work did you enjoy most, and what parts made you grit your teeth and get it done in order to do the good stuff? And I think you pretty much yeah. answered that. <laughs> yeah. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. Well, you also mentioned that your work uh, then, you, you, that brought you to California somewhere in that period of time, and you um, yes. were very involved in a church in Marin County that wasn't a Catholic church, but that that brought you, you said, a deep insight about your purpose in life to be of service, and you've mentioned that, that your, your, your focus on service for your life. Can you share what that meant to you? Sure. Um, for one thing, uh, that church in Marin County, it was called Unity of Marin, kind of a, a New Age, more liberal Christian church. Um, that was the first time I had ever um, gotten myself on a board of directors. I became the president of the board of that church. And uh, I just volunteered for a lot of things. I volunteered to teach classes. I volunteered to do fundraising drives for the church and fundraising events for the church. Um, and it was a great opportunity to uh, kind of step into some leadership roles in an organization of people that I really uh, cared for a lot, and I enjoyed being part of it. So somewhere along the line, I don't know what the sequence was exactly, but you also mentioned that uh, there was a point in time when you realized you were drinking too much. Um, you, you were a functional alcoholic in your terms. You, yes. you were able to do your work and so forth, but you found that that was uh, not serving your life uh, purpose. So what, what was that experience life for you, that discovery and, and the actions you took as a result of it? Uh, it was a very uh, difficult uh, time in my life and a very, um, like, it was a surprise to me to admit to myself that I was an alcoholic because uh, nobody in my family, not my parents, not my siblings, not my aunts and uncles, uh, were alcoholics. So I hadn't been around an alcoholic before in my life. Uh, you know, I just had, you know, images from movies of, you know, the skid row bum kind of person, and I wasn't that, and so I didn't, I figured, well, I'm not an alcoholic. But the truth was, I was drinking fairly excessively, and uh, it was hard for me to be happy without alcohol in my day. And uh, partly, I was helped a lot by my wife. She was a, uh, uh, a psychologist and a substance abuse therapist. And she helped me realize that uh, uh, alcohol had me as opposed to me having alcohol. And so I got myself into Alcoholics Anonymous. And there again, one of the big things that, that you learn in the 12-step programs is um, the, the 12th step is a step about service. And one of the ways of staying sober in your life is to lead a life of active service to other people, whether that's, you know, sponsoring other alcoholics or whether it's taking on service roles in your community. And so it kind of, both the church work and my parents' role modeling and the AA program all kind of led to the same result, which is that service is important. Right. It's been an important part of my life. And the intervention of a good woman uh, obviously had yes, something to do that absolutely. as well, right? Absolutely. Yep. 
You're listening to The Sages Among Us on KVMR. I'm Keith Porter. My guest today is Michael Selby. Uh, he's a man for all seasons, I would say, former Catholic priest uh, trainee, a probation officer, parole officer, executive, accomplished pianist, uh, member of Alcoholics Anonymous. He's a board member for Inconso Sierra, and he's a helpful neighborly handyman for lots of folks in Lake Wildwood. we got to get to that, too. <laughs> But before we get into your community work in a little more detail, I'd like to ask you a couple more personal questions, if I might. Sure. Um, is there an accomplishment or a role in your life that you're especially pleased with or, or proud of? You know, the one that pops in my mind when you say that is uh, being a, a single parent to my two sons. Um, when uh, I, the, the first woman that I married when I got out of the monastery uh, probably not the wisest or most mature choice in my life to do that. Uh, but uh, we got married and we had two children, and after about six years, we got divorced. And so my children were age, you know, five and two at the time. And um, I knew that it was important to for them to have a father in their life. And so uh, this was way back in the 1970s before joint custody was really that common, uh, but I told my uh, my wife uh, that I really wanted to have joint custody with the kids, and she uh, loved the idea. She was really glad that I wanted to uh, be a part of their lives, and, you know, I'm really proud of the kid, my kids, and I'm really proud of the role that I played as a, a single dad. Uh, staying with them through their uh, through their lives. Uh, good to be able to say. So yeah. l let me ask the converse question. Um, yeah. Anything you'd care to share about your life that in retrospect you'd do differently if you could do it all over again? <laughs> about 20 different things. <laughs> um, I wouldn't drink as much alcohol. Um, let's see. I, I, one thing that I've always kind of regretted um, when I was in college uh, and I left the monastery, and I still had a year left of college, I could have uh, reoriented and probably spent another couple of years and got a degree in engineering or math or science, because I was quite uh, talented at those areas. But I didn't. I, I wound up uh, getting married and having a baby and having to go to work. Uh, and so, um, so I, I kind of left behind uh, the... Um, science and math career. I also left behind the piano career, which is why I wound up being a probation and parole officer. Um, so that's kind of a regret that I didn't focus more on re-educating myself once I left the monastery. Mm. So, Michael, now bringing us more into the contemporary time, uh, one of your most significant volunteering efforts in this community is uh, serving on the board of directors of In Concert Sierra. So why did you choose to take that position? Uh, you're, you've been in the community, uh, what, two years now? No, Three years? Four and a half years. Okay, so four and a half years, and you've been on the In Concert board, what, a year and a half? So relatively soon after joining the community, you found that position. What motivated you to take that that role? Um, a big part was that Ken Harden, who is the artistic director of In Concert Sierra, was my piano teacher. I should back up. Um, when I first moved to Lake Wildwood, I decided to, uh, I, I was going to retire, and then I had time on my hands, and I really wanted to get back into piano. So I worked up a couple pieces, and I called Ken Harden on the phone and said, would you listen to me play these couple pieces, and maybe you could 
recommend a piano teacher for me. And so I went over to his house and played the piano, and he uh, volunteered that day to uh, be my teacher. And so I had this uh, a really good relationship going with Ken as my uh, piano instructor. And then one day he invited me to be on the board of In Concert Sierra, and I was a yes to that from the start. Uh, I, I really wanted to do it, and uh, so it was a, uh, an easy thing to say yes to. Well, and you've you've been on the board during a time when there haven't been no concerts because of COVID. Right. So it's it's must be a somewhat different experience for you to to not really be around the music being produced, but uh, but really just taking care of keeping things alive so that that can happen again in the near future. Yeah, I, I should say that um, in the first couple of years that we were up here, uh, this was pre-COVID. Uh, that uh, my wife and I were at most all of the in concerts here at concerts, and we felt like we had uh, landed in utopia, to be honest with you. And we had left the Bay Area, and our big concern about leaving the Bay Area was, uh, you know, are we going to be moving to a place where there's no classical music? And so when we moved up here and we started going to in concerts here at concerts, it was like, oh my gosh, there's a local orchestra and there's, they do really good music and they bring in you know, national and international figures to play. And it's like, holy cow, so when Ken asked me to be on the board of that organization, it was an immediate yes because I loved what In Concert Sierra did. Right. Well, you also uh, said that you are the guy with a toolbox. You help people in your neighborhood with household maintenance work. Uh, th- that I imagine there's a lot of demand for that. Do you have a, kind of a system to control how much work you take on for people? Uh, uh, so far, it hasn't really come to needing that. Uh, it, basically, what it is is that there are uh, a lot of widows in Lake Wildwood, um, and I'm just kind of getting to know them through my wife. Um, but... Um, you know, when uh, there's a couple women recently whose husbands have died just in the last year. And, you know, when that happened, I, and my wife and I were visiting with them. I just let them know, you know, hey, I know you're missing your husband. And sometimes there's things that a guy with a toolbox can do that women might find hard to do. And if you need anything, let me know. And so, I've, you know, I'm not anything major, but like building shelves or rehanging a television set on a wall or cleaning off a a um, uh, an awning, you know, on a deck, you know, that kind of thing. Stuff, you know, climbing up on a roof and doing something that a woman wouldn't normally. Well, we better we better not give out your phone number because I suspect we might create some <laughs> demand for your services that exceed yeah. your capacity. <laughs> that sounds like a very useful thing to be doing. Um, so you and uh, your wife Nora are, are four years or so members of our community. Uh, when uh, what brought you here, and and why did you choose Lake Wildwood as a place to live? Um, let's see. What brought us here is Bay Area prices, and we figured that our retirement investment dollars would go a lot further if we weren't living in the Bay Area. Uh, But what brought us here, uh, especially to Lake Wildwood, is that we had a friend who lived in uh, Grass Valley who spoke very highly of Grass Valley. And when we came up here, uh, our realtor at first didn't want to show us Lake Wildwood because he said you wouldn't wouldn't like living there. You can't ride motorcycles and you (laughs) you can't have your dog barking at night and my wife and I looked at each other and said, no barking dogs, no motorcycles. That sounds great to have. <laughs> take, take us there. Yeah. And so uh, so uh, we fell in love with Lake Wildwood. We really love it a lot. Hey, Michael, if, uh, if a genie in a bottle gave you one wish 
to improve our community. Uh, what what would you say would make this a better place to live? Mm, boy, that's a hard one because one thing about uh, Grass Valley in Nevada City is there is a super abundance of volunteer organizations, nonprofit organizations, you know, everything taking care of the environment, taking care of the homeless, taking care of anybody in need. Um, I mean, I don't know what else to say other than uh, if you've got some free time, pitch in and help. I, here's this one thing I noticed on the, on the radio right before this program came on. They were, uh, it was the UberRiverCleanup.org, and they were asking for volunteers for that. And um, I, I'm on the uh, Lake Wildwood uh, Highway Litter Pickup. You know, once a month we go up and pick up litter on the side of the highway. So uh, that kind of caught my eye. And, there's lots of opportunities in Grass Valley for people to get involved if they want to. Absolutely. So I guess we just have to agree we we got a pretty good spot to live and work and be uh, around and help with, right? Absolutely. All right. Well, Michael, thank you very much for being my guest today. And uh, that is my guest, Michael Selby, uh, former probation and patrol officer, corporate trainer, executive, accomplished musician, board member for In Concert Sierra, helpful neighborly handyman for lots of folks in Lake Wildwood. So appreciate your uh, sharing some of your story, Michael, and your uh, events of your life. Uh, hopefully very uh, interesting to lots of folks thinking about how to make our community better. So uh, ho- join us next week for The Sages Among Us. Uh, host Taylor Wolf will be interviewing a guest. And we uh, really appreciate everything that you do, all of you, do to make your community great. So, Michael, thanks so much for joining me tonight. I really appreciate it. Thanks very much for having me. All right. All right.